Well, what a blessing to be here today. Amen. Nicole, beautiful job. She sang that three times this morning, all three services. So she's been on the road, and I appreciate her so much. I looked out here, and there is Paula Reeves from Oregon here. My soul, do you need your house back? <laughs> we can run that family out of there. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, I'm joking back there. Okay. Okay. Good deal. <laughs> Hey, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for being here on live stream. I want to, you know, so many things happen around here that no one knows about, but our young people do a tremendous job on the cameras and everything for live stream. If, if you've watched it, uh, they do a great job, and they never get any credit for that. Thank you, guys. We, we appreciate you guys. Yeah. And then I, I, I really appreciate my granddaughter is here from Dallas. Uh, Georgia is. She brought her daddy along, and that's all right. But, uh, but the main thing is Georgia is here with us, and we appreciate that too. Turn, if you would, to the Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20. If you were here last week, you know that the sermon was like a stick of baloney. We run out of time, and we just cut her off. And this is... Uh, this is the picking up where we are, where we were last week. We think about worship as a warfare. It's a weapon of warfare. Uh, there are so many people going through different uh, problems and trials and tribulations and all. And we, we, we need to put on the armor of God. That's in Ephesians. That's biblical. We ought to be doing that. But I want to tell you the first step to, uh, to defeating uh, warfare is to worship God. In verse uh, 18, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, would you stand please in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient word. The Bible says, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Father, thank you this morning. And just, uh, Lord, I just pray your Holy Spirit would continue to move. We sense your presence in this place. We admit to you, without you, we're nothing. Uh, there's nothing that we can do good on our own. So we're trusting you by faith, uh, Lord, to do miracles in this place today, to save souls to reunite relationships, Lord, to forget about troubles and to answer the cares of this world. And Lord, you be glorified and honored in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week, King Jehoshaphat, we looked at uh, the chapter before. He was reforming God's people. He was uh, fixing up the land. He was righting all of the wrongs. And then he hooks up with Ahaz, Ahab. Uh, and uh, any time that goodness uh, hooks up with evil, 
you're going to find the evil is going to win. And so he hooks up with Ahab. God reproves him. Uh, he takes it in the right spirit and attitude. He doesn't swell up. He doesn't get mad. He doesn't run to his house and, and hide. He says, I repent, and I want to do right. I want to get back in the, in the uh, uh, eyes of God. And uh, uh, when he does, he, he repents, and God says, I'm going to give you 15 more years to live. And then as he's doing right, he's doing good. Here comes the armies of Moab, the armies of Ammon, the armies of Mount Seir uh, to literally kill him and destroy him. Now, we need to stop and realize right now, young people and, and those who, who, all of us, uh, if you're not doing anything for God, you're probably not going to have a big problem with God or the devil because the devil's already got you. But I want to tell you, if you're going to honor God and you're going to serve God and you decide you're going to love God and you're going to do what's right, you mark it down, you're going to be attacked. I, it, it can be sometimes by those outside. I, I, in my 50 years of ministry, I've never had a Muslim uh, bring a machete at me. I've never had a, you know, a, a foreigner do that. I've had a lot of Baptists, though, who do a lot of stabbing in the back. Uh, but, but I've never, you know, I don't know where it comes from. It can come from either place. I'm just saying, if you're going to honor God and serve God and get the wrong things out and the right things in, you're going to set yourself up to be a target. Now, you don't see Jehoshaphat anywhere here getting his weapons together. He's not doing a military strategy. Can we go this way? Can we go that way? What do we do? He's not building up his mil military. He's not exercising his personnel to come in and be the captains and the generals and all of that. In the middle of all of this battle, Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast and he said, let's worship. Let's worship. After we got the victory, we ought to be worshiping. But before we get the victory, we ought to be worshiping. Worship is not something we just do here on Sunday morning. It ought to be something we do every day. You say, well, preacher, I, I, I can't sing. I can't... Well, when you're in a car by yourself, nobody knows that. Just let it rip. When you're in the shower, I mean, if the dog starts barking, you might lay a little lower and go in a little softer tone there. But, but uh, in the middle of everything, whether you're in a good mood or whether you're in a bad mood this morning, you need to worship. That's what you've come for. Whether everybody else around us is worshiping or nobody else around us is worshiping, we still ought to be worshiping. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of the war being attacked in some of the darkest hours, we still need to worship God. Now, in the scripture, first of all, remember he was conscious of his dilemma. We looked at that last week. Let me just refresh it. He didn't come to God bragging. He didn't come to God saying, I've got it under control. He didn't come to God saying, hey, uh, you can help us here, and this is what I want you to do. He came to God honestly, humbly, and with a heartfelt desire to do what God wants him to do. Sometimes we act like today we don't need God. That's crazy. We need God more today than we've ever needed him before in our lives. We need God. God, I can handle this. I've got a lot of battles behind me. I've got weapons. I'm able to do things. I'm capable. But I want to tell you, with all that, no one is able to fight the enemy. We can't do it. It's not going to happen. Dr. Bill Stafford, great evangelist. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. I heard him say many times, 
Baptists have always been able to strut sitting down. I mean, you, you go to one of these meetings, I'll be in Anaheim this summer, you can see them walk in. You know, I mean, you, well, I better get off of that. Dr. E.B. Hill, one of the, I think one of the greatest black preachers that ever lived on the face of the earth. He was from Los Angeles, and he, uh, man, he preached the Word of God in the ghettos down there in the, uh, whatever that ward was called there. His wife, godly woman, she would get up in the morning. She would get up in the morning and go crank the car and carry it around the block because she was so afraid somebody was going to put a bomb in the car. And she said, it's more important that the world keeps E.V. Hill than the world keeps me. Now, that's the kind of woman she was. I love Dr. E.V. Hill. He said one day at Tarrant County Convention Center in the Fort Worth in an evangelism conference, he said, I love coming to preach the Southern Baptist, not for who they are, but who they think they are. <laughs> Amen. I mean, sometimes we come before God and we say, hey, we've got it under control. We, we don't need to know all of this stuff. Jehoshaphat proclaims a fast. He said, let's set aside our pleasures. Let's sacrifice for the Lord. Listen, we need to know how to get a hold of God. And in these days ahead, you better learn how to get a hold of God. I've been at a conference in Memphis this week, and much of it was just sessions dealing with the legalities and and all of the things that's coming down the pike for churches. And I want to tell you, it doesn't look real promising. It doesn't look real promising. My greatest hope is I'm almost 70 and be out of here before it all happens. I don't know. But, but I, I want to tell you, it don't look real promising. It really don't. So what are we going to do? Are we going to fold up and quit? Are we going to say, well, you know, it's better if we stay alive. We just got to do what the government tells us to do. Well, it, it better not happen while I'm here because I'm telling you, I'm not in for that. I, I know how to get a hold of God. I tell you, uh, and it's not just, it can be physical battles. It can be emotional battles. It can be financial battles. It can be relationship battles. They can come unannounced. They can come unplanned. When you can't get the dollars together, when you can't get your friends to come with you, when you can't phone nobody to come through for you, heaven is always open 24 hours a day. Praise God. He understood the dilemma that they were in. Secondly, he accepted God's provision. It's important that you know who you are. If you're saved today, could I tell you you're a child of the king? I mean, this world's going to try to beat you down. I, I, they're going to keep telling you, uh, you're, not, you're not good enough to do that. I don't know why you're teaching Sunday school. You did this before. You're not good enough to do that. Hey, I want to tell you something. If you're saved today, you're a child of the Most High King. Amen? I, I, whew, I love our God. You know, he doesn't go broke when the economy goes down. I've lost my britches the last six months in this stock market. My retirement, it's, it's minus 401k now. <laughs> I thought I had 401,000, and the guy said, no, that's the name of your account. <laughs> I love verse 6 of chapter 20. The Bible says, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, Art not thou God in heaven? <laughs> he, he's recognizing the position of God. 
You see, we see what happens here. I'm seeing what's happening right now. Our God know what, knows what's going to happen tomorrow. He knows where every one of us are going to be. Got the hairs on our head numbered. Some of us, it don't take a lot. Some of us takes a little bit more. But he's got it under control. He, he knows where we're going to be. Sometimes, you see, he's sitting in a place that we can't sit. He's watching things that we can't watch. And sometimes it does us good to get a hold of somebody who is able to see what we're not able to see. We, we, we see the battle's getting worse. We see that it looks like we can't win. We see that the enemy looks like he's winning. But the position of God is, he said in verse 6, Our Father, art thou God in heaven? And then look, and rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? You've got power. Who can be God but God? Nobody else can. And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? He's still not sharpened a spear. He hadn't slung one rock. He hadn't got the arrows ready. He's fighting in spiritual warfare using the weapon of worship. If I'm going to get out of this mess, if I'm going to win, I'm going to have to get God in on this. It's beyond me. He's, he, in verse 7, he talks about position. He talks about power. And then look at verse 7. Art thou not uh, our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever? Hmm. You want to know why I'm going to God? Because he's got a good track record. Some of y'all do, and some of you don't. I have a lot of people tell me, I, anything you need, preacher, let me know. I let them know, well, I, we're not going to be able to help you. All right. God's never told me that. God's never told me that. In the midst of everything you've got on your mind today, all the activities, all the places you've got to be, running kids all over town, participating in everything in the world could you pause and just remember what God has done for you has he saved you because that's the greatest thing that he could ever do you you came into this thing broke in a mess maybe on drugs maybe on alcohol maybe relational problems a beggar Iris Blue used to sing that song, Once I was clothed in the rags of my life, wretched and poor, lost and lonely within. But with wondrous compassion, the king of all kings, in pity and love, took me under his wings. Let me tell you what just happened out here at the beginning this day. Those two were baptized going down a beggar, and they came up a millionaire. That's who you are in the kingdom of God. He, he said, look, have you ever been backed in a corner? <laughs> and you thought, there ain't no way out of here. God showed up. You, you ever been at the end of your rope and you're just saying, I can't do it no more. I can't go no more. God showed up. You ever groaned when you didn't even know what to pray? And yet the Lord prayed for you, interceded for you. Anybody ever shook their head and gave up on you, said, he's he not going to make it? I remember in 1999, I was in St. Luke's Hospital in Houston, 
and my brothers were there, and Becky was there, and my mother, she always speaks, uh, right or wrong, and I heard her say, he's not going to make it, is he? And I thought, yeah, I'm going to make it, good grief, I'm not dead yet. I, I, I couldn't have anything to eat, drink, anything. No water, no nothing for three days after that surgery. And I had one dear nurse that I loved dearly. She would bring me a wash rag with three ice cubes in it every night at the midnight shift. And that's all got me through. Have you ever been there like that? And yet God came through? God came through? <laughs> He, he's saying here, do, do you guys, don't you remember how our forefathers stood in front of the Red Sea and they couldn't get through and God came through and opened the Red Sea and destroyed the entire Egyptian army? Don't you remember how the enemy was after them and God led them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night? Don't you remember that they told us that they were thirsty and and God gave them water from a rock, and then they got to a place where the water was bitter, and God made it sweet. Don't you remember when they were hungry, and God sent manna down from heaven? Don't you remember when they attacked Jericho, and the walls fell down, and he delivered them? Has he ever failed you? Has he ever not come through for you? No. God is a faithful God. He's an awesome God. I look at David in his lowest point. God came through. I look at Elijah <laughs> backed up in a cave running scared. God showed up. I look at Gideon being outnumbered. God showed up. I look at Daniel being thrown in the lion's den. God showed up. I look at uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, and God showed up. I look at Peter in jail, and God showed up. I look at Paul being stoned, and God showed up. The disciples being attacked, and God showed up. I'm glad I can read all of these instances in this book. But I won't tell you, better than all of that is when I've been distressed, God showed up. When I've been down, God showed up. Every Monday morning, preachers take about an hour and a half to write our resignation. I've got 18 years of them right over there in my file. We do that every Monday morning. And yet God shows up. God shows up in our darkest hour. I didn't call the pope or the priest or another preacher or mama or a deacon or a friend. I called on God. And he showed up. And I want to tell you, friend, if he did it before... He'll do it again. Worship is when we start telling God about who God is. And most of us, if we're not careful, we spend all our time worshiping, trying to get God convinced of what we need rather than admit who he is. Now, thirdly, there's an assurance of God's promises. We got to hurry. Uh, we got to get out of here. We got Chanda Pierce. Is Chanda in here this morning? Hoping she'd be here to get saved. All right. <laughs> She's supposed to be a comedian now. I hope to goodness she'd take one. <laughs> hey, let me give you this third thing here. We have the assurance of God's promises. The assurance of God's promises. God's told us some things. In verse 13 there of chapter 20, 
All Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones and their wives and their children. That's a good uh, uh, place to insert that when you come to worship, bring the whole family. Get everybody here. And then verse 14, Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. You know what we need in the middle of a battle? We don't need Dr. Phil. We don't need Oprah. We don't need somebody else. What we need is a word from God. And that's what's happened here. He gets a word from God. At verse 12, he, he, he says, Oh, our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Man, we ain't got a clue what to do. We don't have any idea what we're doing. We don't know what to do next. But I'll tell you what, we got a God who does. We need a word from you. We need a word from God. Did you know that 366 times in the Bible, the words fear not appear? That's one for every day. <laughs> you say, Pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. Fear not. You, you, you don't know what I'm facing. Fear not. You don't know what my kids are doing. Fear not. You don't know the battle I'm facing. Fear not. How can you say fear not? Because the battle doesn't belong to you. The battle is the Lord's. Quit trying to work the Lord's battle on your strength. You're not going to do it. It belongs to God. Why be afraid of a battle that's not even yours? <laughs> it doesn't matter how strong you think you are. Stronger men than us have fallen. And I'm just telling you, we've got to admit to God we can't do this. Maybe in the 50s, in the 60s, when everything looked like it was going a godly way after World War II, maybe we could have. But this ain't the 50s and the 60s anymore. The Bible's been stripped from our society. All human common sense has gone down the drain from our society. The Supreme Court has overturned three, 233 uh, judgments. You know why? Because those judgments were made based on the Word of God as the standard. When you throw the Word of God out, there's no standard. It all depends on your opinion. And we got some nuts with some crazy opinions. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians 15.58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. If you're feeling like quitting today, could I beg you, if you're saved, would you go back to your Bethel? Would you go back to a time in your life when you leaned on the Lord? A time in your life when you knew he fellowshiped with you, he talked with you and you talked with him and you had such sweet fellowship together don't, don't quit. Go back. Go back and get revived. Go back and have the joy restored. 
We got a lot of folks singing in their own strength and preaching in their own strength and serving in their own strength. Let me tell you, when God is fresh, you won't be wore out. You're going to be excited. And then I tell you, quit blaming others. If you're waiting on a preacher or a staff member or somebody else, you're serving the wrong God. I'm going to get back to serving God. I tell you, preacher, this is what I need the church to do for me. I don't even want to hear it. What you need is to get a hold of God. And anything short of that ain't going to help you. I can dance around. I can do things for you to try to get you back. And in a month's time, you'll be mad at something else. You get a hold of God and you won't be mad at him. Well, I love Psalm 91.1. We've already talked about it in the music service. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. You say, I can't stand that strong preaching. I can't stand all of that. Then get under the rock. Abide in him. Verse 18 tells me, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. He believed what God said. Do you believe what God says today? I mean, come on, really. We ain't seen God. We had not seen no miracles. Not like we want to see. You really think there's a God? Boy, Jehoshaphat knew there was. He knew it. Let me give you this last thing, and I'm through. There's an action of praise. He got a word from God. We're going to praise him. Going to have a worship service. <laughs> going to have a worship service. Hallelujah. But some old cold water committee, they came and said, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't, don't get going too quick. Man, what are you talking about having a worship service? The Moabites are still out there. The Ammonites are still out there. Mount Seir is still out there. They're coming against us. What do you mean having a worship service? And old Jehoshaphat says, God said he's going to take care of them. Don't worry about them. That's not our battle. We're going to praise the Lord. Hmm. I, I wish for some of y'all's sake, verse 19 wasn't in here, but it is. The Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a small voice. Woo! With a loud voice on high. It's just too loud in there. It's too loud. Our equipment is digital. We make sure that it doesn't get to where it hurts anybody's ears. If your ears are hurting, put a little cotton in there. I want to remind you, this is not a funeral home. This is not a massage parlor. I've been there. That, that, hey, that ain't here. Man, we're here to praise the Lord. I never will forget years ago in Port Arthur, I took a group of senior adults up through the Smokies and, and uh, we came back through the Grand Ole Opry. It was a special night there. George Jones, Tammy Wynette, and Vestal Goodman. Those three. It was so loud in that place, you could not hear yourself think. And every one of my old people were standing up, jumping, waving. 
I, I, I didn't say a word. I didn't say a word till we got on the bus. When we got on that bus, I said, now I want to just make an announcement to right here to every one of you. The next one of you that tells me our service is too loud, I'm going to take my belt and spank you. I tell you, you get a hold of God, you don't care how loud it is. Man, that's the whole thing, to get a hold of God. They all pray. Got all the people together, all the singers together there. <laughs> Woo, they were praising the Lord. And verse 20 and 21 talks about the beauty of holiness. That means praise caused other things to happen. We got some moody people in this church. You have to deal with them every week. They're moody. Bad. The problem is they're always the negative moody. A moody person is somebody that has a philosophy, when I ain't happy, nobody needs to be happy. You living with one of those? Don't say anything, you're going to get in trouble. <laughs> They're mad at happy people because you praise and you smile and it gets on their nerves. It tears them up. The worship model is this. If nobody ain't happy, I'm still going to be happy. I'm still going to praise the Lord. I'm still going to sing and shout. Listen, that's what worship is all about, to admit to God who he is. We're worshiping him. And I just would close with this. You can't begin to worship until you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. We're going to have a public invitation in just a moment. Could I tell you something from the bottom of my heart? This is the most serious time of this whole service. If you're not having an emergency, please don't get up and leave. I'd hate for you to stand before God and somebody said, well, I was about ready to get saved, but oh, so-and-so walked out there and I was distracted and so, you know, the devil won. What a shame, what a shame. You say, preacher, don't be rude. To, I'm, I'm getting in your business. Listen. We're here to win people to Jesus Christ and to see lives change. And when we can't even come to an invitation and bow our heads and come to the altar and pray and seek God, because we've got other things on our mind that we need to be doing. Something wrong with us. A lot of churches have already cut out the invitations. We're not doing it here. We're still going to have it. You may need a church home this morning. You may need to rededicate your life to serve the Lord. You may have a special prayer request. You may need to be saved this morning. I'm asking you in the next few moments to let God have his way in your life. Let me just close with this one illustration I heard Friday morning from a preacher from Tennessee. And, uh, well, actually, he's from North Carolina. Uh, and he, if you, you've done any driving and everything, you know uh, you can run 90 and 100 on the interstate. Just keep some fool in front of you, and you can run right behind you. They're running wide open. But when you get on a two-lane road and you're going through a little old one-horse town, you better slow down because every one of them's got somebody at the coffee shop waiting on you. And he was going over to Mobile to visit a, uh, someone in the hospital and he got stopped and 
he, he said, hey, I was feeding. He said, well, what are you in a hurry? He said, I'm going to a hospital to make a visit. The person's dying, and I, I need to get over there. And, and he wrote him a ticket. He said, can I just go ahead and just pay you? And, no, you got to come back to the court. So about three weeks passed, and he came back to the court. The judge had already heard the instance and everything. And the judge said, are you the pastor? And he said, yes. And, and the judge cleared the courtroom. Said, everybody, get out of the courtroom. The judge motioned for the pastor to come up. And he said, I appreciate men of God who are helping people and all. And he said, I'm just going to tear this ticket up. He said, the only thing is, pastor, next time you come through our little town, slow down. The pastor said, okay, I will. He walked out of that courthouse and he said, man, he's thinking, you know, that's just like God. I'm going to use that as illustration. God just tore the ticket up. And, you know, he was just excited and everything. He said he put the key in the ignition. And God said, I ain't never tore a ticket up. I'm holding you accountable for your sin. I sent my son to take all of your sins. I didn't tear that ticket up. Somebody had to pay for that. And I sent my son to die on Calvary so that you could be debt free you think about that that's what the Lord's done for us man he set us free he's brought us from darkness into light from death into eternal life what decision do you need to make today father you know every one of us in this place I pray, Lord Jesus, Lord, in these moments, Christians would be moving toward this altar right now, begging you and pleading with you to save people in this place right now. God, we need some warriors who will begin to fight the battle, who will begin to fight the warfare with the weapons of praise and prayer and recognizing who you are. God, this is your invitation. We're your people. We ask you to do what you want to do right now. We don't want to think about anything else. We don't want to do anything else. We want to just be focused on you and let the Holy Spirit have his way in our life. And we claim that victory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand together? Brother Aaron leads us. You come. God spoke to your heart. Come on right now. Don't hesitate.